Now then, welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives, midlife. I'm Sam Turner, and I am not joined today by Christopher Jenkins. He's otherwise engaged. Um, But let me introduce you to today's guest. Today's guest joins us from the Californian desert, but his journey began thousands of miles from the sun-scorched sands of the Yucca Valley. Nicholas Norm Foster, a man, grew up in rural East Yorkshire and spent weekends in Kevin Keegan's Geordie Heartlands. Early appearances on TFI Friday and meetings with Jet from Gladiators gave Norm a taste for showbiz. Soon he pursued a dance career that took him to the prestigious Rock Challenge final in York and an acting dream which led to acceptance into the National Youth Theatre. The young man also flourished as a bar manager at the Black Swan Brands Burton and customer services assistant at Office Footwear Newcastle. Dance, acting, customer service. A triple threat. Norm's path took him geographically away from his childhood pals in Brands Burton and Newcastle, but they remained in his heavy metal heart. Music would see them regularly convene at festivals such as Bloodstock, Download and Hornsey Carnival. Norm's love of music also led him to successful stints, managing showbiz brand activations at top brands like Nike, Converse and Sonos. Filling his little black book with celebrity names such as Josh from the Paddingtons, Romelu Lukaku and the non-racist ones from Eagles of Death Metal, Norm travelled the world and developed a network of contacts using his Yorkshire charm and performing arts confidence. Norm has never forgot his roots and regular checks in on the likes of Palm Tickler, Mick Monroe, Amiable Pig Botherer, Malk Farabee, and Gallagher Ruffian, Jimmy Five Bellies. We're honoured today to be joined by our first transatlantic guest, Nick Norm Aman. Hello, <laughs> Thank Nicholas. you very much. Hello, Welcome. Sam. Thanks. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. It's lovely um, to be here. I think maybe to start with, we should give you a right to reply. You've you've listened to a few episodes. Your name's come up quite a few times. Is there anything by which you want to set the the record straight on how we've talked about you so far? Um, <laughs> um, no, not really. I think I think you're pretty accurate. I don't I don't have a microdosing empire, sadly, um, to which I'm sure Chris will be upset with. But if he wants to. Hold on to that dream. He can, and and I'll humour him. I don't think he's going to stop talking about your microdosing. No, um, I think uh, thought James Cundall was fair. I'm not sure if he was ty- entirely accurate. Uh, so James Cundall no, he was, was he, he wasn't he was entirely accurate. Yeah, he did used to, he used to swindle the books, didn't he? And then. Um, you know, I had I had complicated. I'm from a broken home, had a lot of probably uh, pent up anger and aggression at the time. Didn't really understand what was going on, and so, uh, I can't James remember what was, uh, what did he say about swindling the books. This is episode ten of the midlife film catch up. Yes, he had a board game that was uh, called Bewitched. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you had to. They had these spell books in it, and you had to go around and like. You'd get one guess and then go back, and there was like either frogs or a prince. One prince, I think, and you had to find the prince. Pretty sure it was his sister's board game. But um, yeah, he would cheat, and he knew which book to go for every time. Um, 
cook I hated the books. losing to him. I would just, I would, I would flip the full on table flip, um, which was at the time was probably just flipping up the the board game off the off the rug in in his dining room mainly. It could, it could have been a poof. It could have been a poof. It could have been a poof. That's the truth. Um, well, well, we'll talk about um, our childhoods, um, unless it wasn't clear. In case it wasn't clear in the um, introduction, myself and Norm have known each other for a very long time. So um, tonight, Norm's capacity is both that of a co-host and a guest. So it's a hybrid role, Norm. How does that sit with you? I'm honoured. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to have you on. Um, yeah, we'll talk about. Jimmy and Bewitched and the the crazy world of Brands Burton uh, later in the podcast. But uh, first, we'll talk about this week's film, which is All About My Mother by Pedro Almodovar. Uh, I've watched every single episode of the American sitcom How I Met Your Mother. No, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm yanking you, Jane. Let's go to Spain. So, All About My Mother by Pedro Uh So, this is a tale of a Argentinian woman called Manuela who loses her son in a car accident uh, on the streets of Madrid. Uh, Manuela travels from Madrid to Barcelona to find the um, father of her son, Esteban, who is... Um, the father is called Lola, a transgender sex worker. Uh, in Barcelona, Manuela gets a job as assistant to actor Huma. Uh, I should also say that Esteban was killed while running for the autograph of Huma in Madrid. She befriends. And, and if there are, Sam, if there are any younger listeners listening. Mm-hmm. Just, I'd like to point out the safe. Just the dangers of uh, autograph hunting. Yeah, that's good. But we should talk about your successful autograph hunting. Yeah, have you got? Tell me, tell me who you've got. Who are the big names? Uh, I've got, um, got, got. Oh, what I've got a Peter the Great VHS. Signed by Peter Beardsley himself. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not on display anymore. Um, since his run-ins with with being a racist, um, I've also got I've got I mean I've got lots of Newcastle United stuff. From I mean, back I mentioned in the day. I, I mentioned the big one in the introduction. Uh, I've actually got a I've got a Guinness beer mat here on the side of my amp that is signed by the late great Howard Marks. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Where did you meet Howard? Uh, he was do you remember when I used to work in that uh, that bar at the train station in Newcastle that was yeah, also well, like that cafe. He was in there one day one morning having a cup of tea, reading a book and I was like, Oh my god, that's Howard Marks. Um you know, I think I'd been listening to a lot of Super Fairy Animals at the time. Mm-hmm. And they, what about, they, they had that front cover, didn't they? What about reading the book? Um, what's the book called again? Mr. Nice. 
Mr. Nice, yeah. You you read that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that did the rounds when we were probably a little bit older than the year we're gonna be going to today, but probably when we were about sixteen, I think we were into that. Carl well, Carl Roberts' uh favourite book to this day as a as a thirty eight year old. That's good. Maybe I should revisit it. So, yeah, not, um, not sure. anyway, autographs. I don't, I don't know who was the big one in the... You said Jeff, Romelu Lukaku. Jet from the, Gladiators. Uh, in, oh, yeah, Jet from Gladiators. She's on my fridge. The signed picture? Yes. Uh, well, how could how can you forget that after I actually mentioned it in the introduction that it's on your fridge? Well, because I was sidetracked by the Romelu Lukaku. I don't, I've never met Romelu Lukaku. Okay. I'm thinking of another Chelsea striker then. Uh, Nicholas Anelka. No. Who was he mates with? Uh, Didier Drogba. Well, we were friends with Didier Drogba and Nicholas Anelka. Right, I was thinking of Drogba, yeah. Yeah, apologies. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so she's in Barcelona, Manuela, and um, she's befriended a nun uh, by the name of Rosa, played by Penelope Cruz. Um. It quickly transpires that Rosa is pregnant, uh, and then we discover that the father of Rosa's baby is also Lola, who is a father of Esteban, Manuela's deceased son. Lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first of all, Norm, what's your relationship with Spain? Um, hablo un poco de español estudio en el colegio eh, a las 20 años pesados um, me llamo Nick soy inglés so um, I was trying to think of your um, Spanish teacher from secondary school then, but I couldn't oh was it Mr. Holmes? Malamed. yeah Mr. Holmes Big beard. Melon. Because of his big head. Yeah. I well, think that talk- was a that it, I mean I I mean I'll have to text him but I'm pretty sure um Batsford Adam mm-hmm. Batsford was in my Spanish class mm-hmm. and he exclusively called him Senor Melonhead. And, and I think Moley also called him Senor Mal and had exclusively, <laughs> like, to his face as well, which is harsh. And he was actually a great um, a great teacher and musician and uh, came up with the the hit Count to Ten song, Un, Dos, Tres. And it goes like this. Un, Dos, Tres. Cuatro, un, Cinco, Cinco, Seis, Siete, Siete, Ocho, Nueve. So, so Melonhead would just sing that song in the. I mean, that yeah. takes some big kahunas, doesn't it? He played it with fair to He played it. He played a guitar as well, and would do like full-on flamenco type guitar and sing songs. You got to respect that. You have. He had. A, he had a. He had a tough time, did Mister Holmes. Um, but yeah, he was a good. He was a good teacher. I like Spain. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been been to various places in Spain. Have you been I've to been the two set, settings of this film, Madrid and Barcelona? Uh-huh. 
affirmative, yeah. Did you could you did you just watch it without subtitles and because of Mr. Holmes's uh education? Um well I mean I, I, I spent quite I spent a bit of time in the pandemic um in Costa Rica, so my I would say that my combina- my conversational Spanish is actually quite proficient. Um so I mean, for the most part, I watched it with the subtitles on, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, when I was, like, looking at the dog, things like that, I, I, my ear naturally kicked in, and I, I carried the gist. I can't, I can't remember a dog in the film. My dog, I was looking at my dog. Oh, right, okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I've also been to Madrid and Paris, uh, Madrid and Barcelona. Nice. Which was your favourite out of the two? That's a that's a great question, and do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial and say Madrid. I'm a hundred percent with you, Sammy boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. Uh, it's a charming city. It's a what? It's a warm city, both in temperature and demeanour. Um, yes, it's easily which I find is sometimes strange for a um, capital city. Yeah, I, I think I often forget that it's a. The capital city. I've only, I've only been once. Um, very good cured meat scene. Fabulous, amazing seafood. Even though it's yeah, yeah, true. Not by the sea. Absolutely, yeah. But wine same, in Madrid as well. Um, yeah, I can't I can't remember to be honest. Probably because I had too much wine. Please. Um, but saying that, you know, Barcelona, it's no. Uh, it's no amateur hour, is it? It is no amateur hour. It is no amateur hour, but it always feels, to me, you always feel like you're going to get hustled or robbed in Barcelona. And not uh, even just down, not even just down Las Ramblas, you know. My friend Ash got um, mo- like uh, robbed by a woman that was he thought was pre- either pretending or was actually pregnant on a uh, on a subway train in Barcelona. In Barcelona, yeah. I had a um, five euro, me and my brother had a five euro massage off a woman with three fingers in uh, Barcelona on the beach. Right, okay. And was she good? It was a great massage, but um, Ollie Nicholson was with us and he wouldn't have a massage, uh, only to find out it was because he'd clocked said woman's uh, gammy like Lack of lack of fingers, um, yeah. but you Which know. I, so, so you had a last laugh because she was a good masseuse. Yeah, and I think I actually gave her ten euros. Good, and good. she had a little cool bag with her and was selling um, little damn limons, like the little uh, the little rattlers. Oh yeah, that yeah. Australia do. They're good. Lovely, lovely. Okay, now quick thoughts. Give it to me straight. What do you think about this film? Um, what was the director called again? Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, well, Pedro. Um, he's essentially the pioneer in early day 
Spanish um, Wes Anderson, isn't he? He could say that. He could. He could abs- absolutely say that. Yeah. I uh, just pointing out to the overall mise en scene and the um, and the feeling that he invokes from the screen. Um, the the set design and the costume design was amazing. It was a really beautiful looking film. Mm. I think there was um, some really like particularly that waiting room scene when they're initially in the hospital. And it's got that kind of green mottly tile behind her mm-hmm. head, but it's also a similar colour to like her hair. Mm. And she's got the red cardigan on, which matches the red leather couch. Like um there, there were little moments like that. There was a there was the um the shoot the shot where she is startled before Esteban gets knocked over. Mm-hmm. And she's got she's got the uh she's holding the umbrella. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought that whole sequence was beautiful, right to the point where she's like, she's got the, she's crying and screaming in the camera. I thought the composition of that whole sequence was beautiful. Um, I thought the, the story was, um, like definitely, uh, thought provoking and unconventional. Um, I thought it was, a a witty tongue-in-cheek take on a lot of this. Um, but ultimately, it was a sort of a, 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 a look into womanhood and motherhood across um, the entire spectrum of, of being a woman or identifying as a woman. Mm. Did you like it? I enjoyed. We enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And was it? And Had, Hadley, your wife. What did? What did Hadley think? Hadley loved it. Um, yeah, we had a. We, we sat and watched it last night. Actually, we took the dog out and then had a bit of tea and <laughs> set up for a movie. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was really good. Like my 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 wife actually works in, um, diver like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um. Mm. So it was interesting to get her take on it, um, and we we the it was interesting to see it from a late nineties point of view, um, and in some ways it was very progressive, but in some ways some of the language and dialogue in there was quite derogatory and um, archaic. Um, especially when talking about the, as they call it, transvestite, and the mm. difference between like someone who's post-op and pre-op and has just stuck a pair of tits on, as they would say, you know. Yeah, there was a, there, there was a lot of that, wasn't there? Yeah, um, but maybe that was just like reflective of how you know people who move in those circles talks about it. Each other at the time, yeah, and yeah. maybe may, you know, maybe maybe even now, uh, and maybe in Spain now, uh, you, you don't know, do you? Well, no, you don't. You don't know. And that's an, that's another thing. Like, um, I, I definitely wasn't really aware of any of these nuances in 1999, um, and and of course we have the uh, the ability to look back um, on these things. I, you know, it was. 
and there's undertones in that that still are prevalent today you know with like all of the jk rowling stuff and um it, it it's it's a very it's a complex subject matter it is yeah and yeah i, I suppose it, it's like you're conscious that this is a film that's written and directed by a man but i i, I mean i don't i'm not a woman and um not transgender but it, it seemed to be dealt with in in a really kind of progressive way and then there was that end dedication of the film to all mm-hmm. actresses who played actresses to men who act and become women to all the people who want to become mothers to my mother i mean that's maybe a little bit that is maybe a little bit clumsy reading it back but um it, it you know it was all dealt with in humor and there was obviously a warmth to these characters like um yes i can't, I can't remember the character's name but the um the the, the yeah agrada yeah so the friend of uh, manuela who she quickly like um sought out when she got back to um barcelona was an no was i a, was i was convinced that she was going to be the father the father right okay yeah i think i was still trying to work, work out what was going on at, at, at that point um but she was a she was a brilliant character and she had she had her like so they had to cancel so uh, a motif in the film was that they'd play um, a streetcar named Desire. So uh, Esteban ran to get the autograph from Humor after Humor had uh, been in Streetcar Named Desire. Um, and then when Manuela goes to Barcelona, Streetcar is on there, and she, um, you know, she gets involved in Humor and, and works on w- with her. And then there's a there's a night where Humor's uh, partner it is like done in with uh, junk, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the cat the cat put on the performance, and then uh, um, Agrada does a uh, like a one woman monologue, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, and there was a phrase: um, "You are more authentic the more you resemble what you've dreamed you are." Mm-hmm. And I thought that was one of the best lines that I've ever heard in in film. I, I completely agree with you, and it—I don't know. You're someone who's known me my whole life, and it, that sat with me in a way that, like, I don't know. I'm I'm sat here in like Joshua Tree, California now. Oh yeah, and that is that is something and somewhere that I've basically wanted to be since I was about sixteen, and hearing the music that came out of here, um. Yeah, and that, and that, I think it it was a kind of a reassuring line as well, to like, well, despite everything that goes on and whatever ever people have in going on in their lives, and everyone has stuff. It is a, it, it's a confidence that that is self caring, uh, and uh, you've just made me realise something as well. I listened to a podcast today. Um, it's the, it was with it was an interview with a guy who used to edit um, Wired Wired magazine, mm-hmm. um, and he's got all this. He's written a book of advice, basically. One of his pieces of advice is that um, you should create your own metric. <clears throat> you should create your own metric for success. 
mm-hmm. which is which is a very similar you know that's a very similar point to what Agrado was saying in that one person monologue as well, isn't it? It's like you know it's not it's not about how much money you've got or x y and z and you know the the kind of popular measurements of success it's about identifying with what what you think you should be and and your achievement should be measured by what what you think is an achievement and what is success absolutely absolutely i think um we live in such a success and ambition driven society that um I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Actually, I read an article in the Guardian uh, last week about it was it was something like America's problem with ambition, mm-hmm. um, and it is about the endless pursuit for success and achieving goals, but never actually being content with what you've or, or even recognizing what you've just achieved or secured. Mm. You know, either physically or in an emotional state or whatever, and it, and and I think it's limiting. I um, I bought my first barbecue as an adult um, two two weeks ago. What do you think to that? I think that is a big life step, a big life achievement. Um, I did you go gas or did you go coal? Well, let me put it into context. Um, I've set myself a target of experiencing five barbecues this summer. I want to experience at least five barbecues this summer. Um, and I'm. it's now the 14th of June, 15th mm-hmm. of June. Uh, and I've experienced 3.5 barbecues already. So how about that for a metric? And um, how, did, how did you get the half? Well, this is it. So the, the half came about because we had a... Um, disposable barbecue and it was it was an mm. absolute car crash um mm. no offense esteban um uh, so we had to jettison the <laughs> we had to jettison the um the disposable barbecue and i thought i'm not having i can't i can't go the summer doing this when i've got this target hanging over my head so uh argos online 15 pound cheapest barbecue bish bosh bash it's 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 the most basic barbecue you can get basically, but I, I've had two three like three leg flying salsa. You've got it, you've got it in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, I had Chris and his family here on Saturday, uh, roaring success until it started uh, pissing it down, and then yeah. uh, and before that, um, me and Claire had a lovely, lovely barbecue, uh, veg- vegetarian, purely vegetarian. Um, so yeah, guys, create your own metrics for success. Uh, quick thoughts. Quick thoughts to me. I, lo- I absolutely love this film, and it's it's definitely in the top three or four films that I've watched as part of this project. And Chris yeah. will listen to this, and he hasn't he hasn't watched it because he he hasn't had time this week. Uh, and I hope he does watch it. And um, I think I'm ninety five percent confident that he'll, he'll he'll very much enjoy it as well. I love the. Um, the the turn of the film, the turn that um, Almaladeva sets, and the uh, the the use of colour, like the, that red, does seem to be a sort of motif throughout the film, and uh, and it really pops, and it it really um, 
yeah sets sets a mood. What um, if I asked you what uh, period this film was set in? Could you could you tell me? I I think it was. I I I got the impression that it was just set in the late nineties in Spain. Yeah. Well, no, so so did I, but you bang wrong. So that when you wow. think when you think about it, when you think about the um, decor in the apartments, and uh, well, the decor everywhere really, mm-hmm. I th- it it's obvious, and it, it, it was set in the seventies. So there's there's a line when um, the, when Rosa... I just thought it, I thought they were cool. Yeah, me too. I, I thought, thought they were cool I... interiors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was that I scene like, when I was like, I need to get in on the. Barcelona queer scene, man. Like they are all popping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, but there's that line about, um, "Oh, this is a great day." Um, Videla has gone to prison, and you're going to have a baby. So Videla was a Argentine um, military um, dictator, right? Yeah, like overthrew the General. government. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I look. I, I didn't know that, and the uh, and that yeah, that was that was the seventies. Um, but yeah, the, the sets the sets are incredible. Do I feel like there was melodrama? No, what would you say? What do you say to that? Within within the sets themselves and the composition and no no, just like the the acting and the the thing, things like um, when we finally do meet uh, Lola when Lola comes onto the scene later on. Yeah, yeah, like that's yes. very sort of pronounced, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I think I think they. Um... There was such ambiguity about Lola throughout the the whole film, you mm. know, and and um, it was a very definite and pronounced way of her to arrive at the funeral, you know, and 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 for them to have that opportune moment of obviously being Esteban's parents and and her um, Lola being the the paternal father to um, Penelope Cruz's child. Mm-hmm. It um, she they alluded to her being an ambiguous character themselves, and I, I, I think I like the way they did that. And I think it was I think it was very clever um, to leave her hanging out till the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were constantly thinking, "What, what is it about this Lola that um, has got all the, got all the chicks going mad?" Exactly, and it, it, you know, I mean, I did struggle with the journey from none to dying of AIDS. Like, I don't think there was enough in the context of how she'd gone on that journey. Right, she'd yeah, ended up yeah. sleeping with Lola. Um, yeah, that's a good, good, good point, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I get the chance to meet in and all of that. That could happen. I just, like, maybe there was something I've missed and I need to rewatch it, but... Well, I'm, I'm guessing that the, the story is that um, Rosa... 
Penelope Cruz is a very like caring person. She's she works with these like sex workers and street people, and she becomes very close to them. Lola is a very charming person, and one one thing led to another. You know, because Manuel is no slouch. I mean, some people might say that Manuel's a little bit like carrying a man. I, I wondered if you that's why you put me on this week. Like that opening scene. That opening scene where it's like the studly young blonde blonde book and uh his mummy's way too hot to even let your friends I mean, come round. I mean it's it's a, it's pure coincidence, but you know, I, I would be re, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the similarities between Manuela and uh, your your mother. Well, even Esteban had a similar barnet to what I was rocking in the late nineties as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't think of that, um, but there was Frosty a bit of chips. like, but there was the sort of weird like sexual chemistry between Esteban and his mother, but that I don't think you and Karen ever ever had really. No, I don't. No, that was never really there for us. <laughs> no, maybe Simon and Karen, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about si- we'll talk about Simon later. Does does he does he listen? Is he a listener? I don't know. He's listen- coming out this week. He's coming out this weekend. So brilliant. I'll I'll get him onto it. talk about our takeaways so these are things about the film that have made maybe made us think a different way or uh things about the film that will stay with us uh, long after we've watched it um would you like me to start or do you want to go first yeah sure you go you should go first sam i think um i like the films of pedro almeladova that's one that's one of mine have you seen any others? Yeah, uh, so my uh, good friend Ed Beamer, friend of the podcast, um, he had a um, he had a box set mm-hmm. of Norfolk's Norfolk Seven Dander. It's not from it's not from Norfolk. It's not from nowhere near Norfolk. I think you're just getting mixed up with Alan Partridge. Right. It's from De- it's from Devon. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's got a. A resemblance to um, Evan Dando and uh, the drummer from the Rolling Stones sadly passed away last year. R.I.P. Charlie Watts. He had a um, box set of uh, Al Madaladavar's films, and I watched two or three of those. And I uh, I, I love I can't and I can't remember which ones they were, but uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed his films ever since and. I'm not going to say I'm a like a devotee, but uh, I, sh- I should be. I-, I should watch more because I've I've enjoyed everyone that I've I've seen, and this has reminded me of that. And it's probably been a good six or seven years since last the- I watched the last one. Um, so takeaway number one: Sam, watch more. Note to self: watch more. 
Pedro films. Nice. Uh, a lot of the films have got Antonio Banderas, and a lot of the films have got Penelope Cruz. So straight out of the pa- straight out of the paddock. What's that phrase? Straight out of the paddock. I'm gonna I'm gonna say straight out of the paddock. You've you're in for a good time. That's it. That is bang for your buck. Mm, absolutely. Give me a takeaway. I um, I was really taken back by it, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm not sure if it's because it reminds me of Magic E on Sesame Street, or whether it's because um, you don't usually get a, a papers, a piece of papers point of view or perspective. But there was the bit where they were writing, mm. they were signing something, and it did the the pen was like writing, the pencil was writing on the screen. Just for the listeners, um, Norm is uh, using a pen to write on the camera of his uh, phone so to replicate the the scene in All About My Mother. Um, which, Quite effective. Yeah, I like that a lot. thought it was, uh, again, unusual and, uh, and, and, and humorous. Give, give me your um, favourite three characters from your your most favourite to your third favourite of the film most favourite I think has to be Agrado mm. I really I really liked Agrado like the the way, the way she was introduced to a monologue to just like she was like the realist of real I, I liked her that was crazy the way she was introduced. She, so she was being like attacked by her John, and mm-hmm. it, 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 they took it very much in their stride. Like it was just like a, a very normal thing to happen. Like it was um, very matter of fact the way that they dealt with that. Attack. Yeah, I mean that again. That whole sequence where they were doing the burnouts and there was like she's in the back of the cab and they're driving through that like Mad Max. Like, yeah, like sex worker festival. Desert sex party, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like the tweakers out here. I was going to say, where, where's your local desert sex party? What's, what's tweakers mean? Um, like the uh, all the fentanyl and uh, crystal meth um, uh, fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and Hadley, not not fans of that, uh, not in that scene. We're we're down to like sort of once a quarter with it, really. Um, and, but but you watch the you watch Dark Crystal, Jim Henson's Dark Crystal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's good. That, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's better. I think that's more healthy. Yeah, the closest we've ever got to it is Breaking Bad. So. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, think, so uh, num- another... number one character was Agrada. Yeah, um, number two, I, um, I, I think Rosa. Tell me more. I, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't know necessarily if I like the character or whether I, I was more impressed by Penelope Cruz's portrayal. She was amazing, yeah. And she—I don't know how old she is in this film, but um, 
She looks very different. It has to, to be them. one of her. Yeah, Hollywood. It looked very different to Hollywood Penelope Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, really, really great performance. Yeah, that, that, uh, I thought she was brilliant. And the third one, I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with the junkie assistant. Uh, not assistant, she wasn't she the partner of Huma? Like a, like a romantic partner? I think so, yeah. Maybe. I thought she was uh, like just in a play and like a bit of an aide. But they could have been a romantic partner. Uh, maybe I'm getting... Is there another... So there's the person who's in an actor in the play. Yeah. Who was her partner. And then was there another person who was her assistant? No, 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 no. no so that was her, yeah. Yeah, no, that that, person, yeah. I'm pretty sure that she was her... Um, I'm sure that I'm pretty sure that was her partner. Yeah, yeah. She really reminded me of the keyboard player out of Bolt. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see Pulp in uh, next month. I saw them in Barcelona. Whoa. Okay. Now we're talking. So we're cooking. That was a. Uh, yeah. That that was stuck in my head quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, Primavera or. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. And um, my brother was mates with a guy who had a, um, a stage there. So we'd all got artist passes for that year. And we were, there's like a hill and it's like the artist area. And they, mm-hmm. you can watch basically everyone on the main stage from that hill. There's like a free bar and nice porter cabin toilets and, and stuff like that. And I was I was having a pee at the... At the in the in the urinal closest to the wall, there was a guy at the other one, like to the far, far furthest to the right, and there was a gap in the middle. You go in. The Spanish guy's giving me a nod, giving him a nod. Very skinny man in a bright blue anorak comes in. Yeah. Pees very quickly. Gets out of there. How quickly? Spanish, like. Under 30, 30 seconds. Like, wow. he was, like, obviously busting. What year? Drinking. 2011, I think. Not not been drinking, did you say? Yeah. Okay, and, let's, uh, come back, let's, let's come back to that. Go on. And he goes out, and the guy's just looked at me, the Spanish guy, and turned his head and just gone, Harvis? <laughs> it was Jarvis Cocker. What, what did the... Um... What did the guy say? Harvis. That's 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 that is great stuff. Um, so, so you talked about a teacher that was a, a, a had a, a good musical pedigree before, but we've got an, another teacher who had an even more impressive musical pedigree. Yeah. Tell tell our, tell our listeners. Uh, Steve Skinner, Mister Skinner. Mm-hmm. Hello, Steve, if you're listening. Uh, Ridlington's finest uh, riff master. Yep. Um, I think we... He was our media studies teacher. And he was. it was... We'd been... It was when they did the I Love 1990 something series. And he was a dark horse, Mr. Skinner, because he was really cool. 
and he drove a seven series BMW, which and he he, he only joined Hornsey School when we were. I mean, maybe six this form, age. Right? Six, okay, when we was in sixth form, yeah, yeah, like late, late GCSE sixth form, maybe. So just a couple of years after this, and um, we were watching I Love Nineteen Ninety Four at my house, and uh, Edwin Collins, never known a girl like you before, was on. Mm-hmm. So it should be, and uh, great, great lick, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Lo and behold, super cool, 7 Series BMW driving Steve Skinner. SS. Was Edwin Collins. Yeah, he was Edwin Collins' guitarist. And, and when when questioned about this, he was like, ah, you bastards, I wondered how long it would be how long until you found it out. And he was like, uh, all right, you get to ask me a couple of questions. And it was like, what's your best story? He was like, right. There was one time we were supporting, like, we're on the road with Paul, and uh, Jarvis Cocker wouldn't go on stage for about twenty-five minutes because he'd uh, he'd lost his anorak. That's what that's that that's what no. Mm. Wasn't it? No, not 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 what I remember. No. What did you remember? I mean, it's. I don't know how libelous it is, but it, it was basically about Jarvis Cocker being off his head on um, booze. Yeah. Or, or maybe drugs. Or and, a, a mixture. Or a, a mixture of both. Um, and Steve Skinner was very annoyed that he was like, I can't remember what, I can't remember what he was doing now, but basically he was, he was really annoyed. I, I remember... Three details. Cock was wearing an anorak. Um, Steve Skinner was annoyed. And there was booze and drugs involved. It might have been at the Brit Awards, actually. Is this ringing any bells with you? Yeah, um, either the Brit Awards or Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, and, you I, know, actually bumped, I actually bumped into Steve Skinner in 2010 in uh, wow. Tip Shelf Services at a Urinal. It's amazing how often you'll run into um, Britpop legends at your rivals, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's like a spider sense. Is there any more? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, not a urinal, but I, um, I was at, uh, I think I had to go to Amsterdam for work. And for some reason, I was flying out of um, I was flying out of Gatwick, which I wouldn't have normally have done. And um, there's that really expensive. I was having a look around the duty free, killing some time, like not going to buy anything, just having a mooch. And um, it's this guy who's like got the swagger, you know, and he's, he's got like real like. Um, hel- uh, like a helmet, hair- like a a bull helmet, f- helmet fringe long at the side. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm like, all right. And he's looking at the real expensive s- sun cream, you know, the one that's like white and it's got that 
the sun on it. The, the, it's um, like white um, and it's ambrosia. Oh, fancier than that. It's like it's like a blood piss green. Mm-hmm. It's like it's oh, like yeah. some special like I don't know. I wouldn't look at it. Fan- I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it the time of day. This geezer's looking at that, right? Mm-hmm. Clock him, Bobby Gillespie. So I've gone and got a coffee and whatever. Um, that's done. It's magic. I need a Todd. I've gotten to the bathroom. What? Uh, hang on. What's what's magic? Yeah, the coffee has done its magic. Oh, it's right, done yeah, it, yeah. It's worked its magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to go for a pre-flight ablution. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's someone in the trap in this toilet, right? Yeah. Better know it is. Give it three minutes, three or four minutes. Flush. Door opens. Very, very sheepish. Bobby Gillespie opens the door. Mm-hmm. I have no choice but to then go and drop trout amidst his very pungent poo particles. And it was it was a it was not a good smelling Todd. No, I can I can only imagine. So what what years what what um is this like the worst I assume this is like the worst era of Primal Scream as well. We're talking like uh cow uh, what's that cow cowboy girl? Is that a song called? Doesn't even know. Country, like, country girl, country girl. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, what year? Probably like. I think it would. I'd have been at Converse, so it'd have been between twenty thirteen and twenty sixteen. I think. Yeah, I mean, probably post post country girl, but I've got, I've got, I've got no time for the man really. And you, you confirmed, you confirmed it with that story of his. Um, very smelly poo. Yeah. Um, okay, have you got any more uh, takeaways from All About My Mother? There was a lot of snot. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it was a... very, very snotty noses when they were crying. And, uh, do, you and, wa- um, do you watch Succession? Yeah. I have watched Succession, yeah. You haven't seen this. There's a, there's a really good snot scene in the final uh, series of Succession. I've, I've seen it. I don't so know if I the saw final, the snot. The final series? Yeah. Um, okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we've got a, um, a phone in, uh, a answer phone message. I'm just going to play this now. Okay. Is that okay with you? Greetings, Sam and Norm. Norm, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you. Uh, well, I've met you before during um, Zoom quizzes, which you always won. Well done. Um, I've narrowed it down to three films. Film number one is called Songs from the Second Floor by Roy Anderson I think Sam has seen his other film A Pigeon Sat on a Branch reflecting on existence Um, 
that's choice number one, Sweden, year 2000. In a city, somewhere in the far north, a strange series of events take place. A clerk is made redundant in a degrading manner. A lost immigrant is violently attacked in a busy street. A magician makes an error in his act. Okay. The second choice is Amores Peros, um, directed by Alejandro González Inaratu from Mexico in the year 2000. A fatalistic car crash in Mexico City sets off a chain of events in the lives of three people, a supermodel, a young man wanting to run off with his sister-in-law, and a homeless man. Their lives are catapulted into unforeseen situations, instigated by the seemingly inconsequential destiny of a dog. Um, And the third choice is called Le Glaneur et la Glanus, The Gleaners and I, French, I believe, directed by Agnes Varda, a documentary. With a digital camcorder in in hand, Agnes Varda sets out to make a documentary about the lives of gatherers, recyclers and treasure hunters that she encounters in the cities and and the countryside of France. Often sidetracked, Varda finds time to reflect on everything from ageing to the birth of cinema. 9.2 out of 10 on movies, so the highest rating of the three. Um, I'll narrow it down to two for you. I would like to see Amores Peros or The Gleaners and I. So I'm striking off the Roy Anderson one. Uh, and I'll leave uh, it's a bit of a midlife film catch up first in that I'll leave it to you to decide between those two. Um, yeah. And I'll leave you with this question. Um, what is the cure for stress? How, how do you cure stress for someone working for a South Liverpool reading charity three days a week, but with quite a high workload? How do you how do you how do you how do you how do you, how do you cure stress? I feel that's one for well, definitely for both of you, but also for Norm because he's a high flyer in all sorts of um, and you live in the desert, you know, so it's very harsh environment so I'd like to hear more on that Um, I'll see you both soon Um, take care of each other bye okay so it was really that was that was really nice to hear from Chris there Um, it was I'm sorry I'm sorry he's having a stressful turn yeah uh, so we can we can stick a pin on in what he said about the films until the end. Um, but he is obviously, he, he sounds stressed. I'll be honest. He sounds stressed and that's, that is worrying. Um, I think you need to answer that question because um, it, well, actually, this podcast think, is nothing. If it's not a, um, self-help podcast. I've, I've found some help in this podcast. I, 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 and I don't know it's because it's whether I know you so well, but I often find myself talking to the podcast and That's joining lovely. in like I'm having a conversation and then I'll catch myself and I'll be like, idiot. But um, yeah, it's it's nice. 
Um, I think actually you touched, we touched on something in this very podcast mm. that he might be able to apply. Mm-hmm. He could, he could come up with his own um, success metric system. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I, I think this could be advantageous in both a, a serious sense and in a in a tongue and cheek jovial sense. Go on. So if 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 there are say any recurring themes in. Chris's day-to-day line of work that are particular stresses, mm. or uh, he he could, you know, turn it on its head and be like, if this happens so many times a day, that is that's a major success, you know, and see the so funny side of it. No, you've lost me. I don't understand what you're saying. We can gamify it a little bit. It can be, you know, I don't know what his stresses are and I don't want to come up with anything in case um, I'm, I'm completely off the mark. But Let's say that let's say that he, he's he got a lot of things to achieve, um, to do at home. He has to work certain hours at work and he's got targets at work. These these two things compound and cause stress. How does he do, How does he deal with that? Yeah, okay. That might be more of a... Um, maybe if he can... It's very hard and, and it sounds very kinetic and there's a lot of moving parts. Mm. But if he can if he can try and carve a little bit of routine and set himself times when he can do certain things, you know? So, what you say, with routine, are you saying daily routine? Yeah, just like little bits I, I used to find that for example like getting a lot of emails and stuff like that I would set times in my day where people couldn't book meetings mm-hmm. and whether that's 20 like a couple of 20 minute stints because you know there's going to be ones that you need to get back to and there's going to be ones that other people are going to jumped in on and it doesn't matter if you interject later mm-hmm setting that out because then you're not constant because the you're not constantly triggered by the ping 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 when you're trying to do other stuff yeah and you you know that you've got that set got 20 minutes to focus and bash through it okay so little tips and tricks like that another yeah. one uh, on. uh micro dosing's good apparently <laughs> um no. time in nature Walking, even if that is in inner city, um, I, th- I think we're talking to someone who's time poor. I think we're talking to someone who's time poor, but then maybe we can combine walks in nature with a commute to work, potentially. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like, where can you adjust little things to make little wins? Mm-hmm. It, you, you don't have to um, reinvent the wheel or anything like that, but it's like, you know. If you've got to get a train and you need to get a bus to that train, but you can, it'll take you an extra ten minutes to walk. Try and do that extra walk. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think Chris drives a car, um, which is named after the drummer from Oasis. Um, but maybe he can park the car a little bit away from 
his place of work and uh, enjoy the benefits of walking through Calderstones was it Park. Bur- was Bernard or Griggsy? No, uh, Alan Alan White. Oh, okay. <laughs> Griggsy was the uh, bassist. Right. Um, uh, what I'm going to say to Chris is um, really think about how much it matters, how much it matters to you, how much it matters to the person on the receiving end of whatever you have to do. If it doesn't get done, what does that mean? It probably, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, try and put things into perspective. Yeah. Just because someone else has got a rapid need for something doesn't necessarily mean that that might just be their style. You know, there might not actually yeah. be a rapid need. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's it's work it's work at the end of the day for for probably you and probably for the person on the other end. So remember that. Yeah. So let let's talk about um, our lives in. In 1999, but also if there's anything you want to address um, about the years 1984 to 1999, feel free to, no. I tell you what, tell our listeners how the origins of our relationship. Okay. Um, I feel like my mum and dad wouldn't have long been in the village when Karen was pregnant with me and I believe she might have even been pregnant with me when they moved down mm-hmm. from from Morpeth which is a little uh, little village or little little historic market town um a, about 14 miles north of Newcastle mm-hmm. and I think I don't know like as far back as I can remember I can always remember you and James. Well, you know? I, I, I realised that I said 1984 then, but you were obviously born in 1985 because you are a March 85 baby, whereas me and Jimmy That's are true. much, much older than you. You are much older than me. Sort of, sort of like wise, wise older kind of guides to yeah. you, really. Yeah, you fall into the front half of the school year, you know. I, uh, you know, I, I, I still had some underlings. Um, you were sort of a you up, know. up, up, young upstart, really, weren't you? Like March, who, who was younger than you in our school year? Uh, Merley, Spanner, uh, Granny, Southwell, Ollie Nicholson. Ollie Nicholson is was born on the last possible day. 28th of August, you know? So, uh, tell me this. Did you go to so, play yeah. school? Yeah, man. Yeah, so I can remember playing Ghostbusters at play school with you, Whippet, Kundal, and because, and, and we used to make uh, Lindsay Hate and be Janine. Do you remember that? No. And the, the, the climbing frame and slide uh, was the Ghostbusters car, and we used to sit on it. Okay. Uh, 
Um, and then we'd often go and then do some painting in that little dark, weird room and we put those plastic, uh, like, backwards jackets on. Was there a separate room for painting at, at play school? Yeah, it was like in the creepy dark storage room. Yeah, that was ringing a bell, actually. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't it was cold the... in there. And it smelled damp. And that's not how it's represented in the play school video either, if you remember. No way. I don't think I made the cut for that. I don't know if I did every day, because I think mum was like part-time or something. Right, okay. I might have only okay. gone like two days a week or something. Well, let, let's fast forward to the Sam Gang. Sam Gang, right, yeah. Sam Gang, so I'm going to go with uh, 94, maybe? 93, 94. You had uh, Hightower, uh, Motormouth. That was me, I think. Uh, I mean, this is uh, this is Police Academy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Police Academy, wasn't it? Where we got our names. Um, but I remember... I think feel like the formulation of the Sam Gang happened because we all got a uh, um, we all got the spy file fun fact. Uh, no, this is brilliant because you're 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 um, verifying what I've said in this podcast. So, like, I was worried that you hadn't listened to the previous episodes, but you you're actually you you're verifying what I've said in previous episodes. Good, good. The um, yeah, spy file fun facts. Remember someone like Red Squirrel or something? I don't know if that was a code name already in it or one we came up with. But I can yeah. remember I can remember us having our spy faxes walking down the side of Dacre. And there's that little cut where the BMX Dick, pump was. Hang on. Dacre Arms is the is a pub in Bransburton. And we all had our spy files out when we were writing. And it was near the little <laughs> uh near the little snicket that went down past uh Phil's granddad's house. Philly Styles. And what were what were we writing? Do you think I can't remember? I think it was. I think that was the like formulation of the Sam Gang. I remember. I think me and Rob were foot soldiers. You were the leader, and James was the like vice president Cons- or consigliere, CFO, C- CFO, or whatever he wanted to call himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> it needed it needed a chief financial officer. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Well, do you remember S. G. Gilbert? Go on. I mean, we've talked about. I've talked about S. G. Gilbert, so you probably shouldn't talk about this. So yeah, we're... I brought him into show and tell in a um, in a yeah. like a takeaway box with holes punched in it. And whose class was that in? Uh, the infamous Rubber Johnny Johnston. Quickly, give me your. Um... Reflections on Mr. Johnston, and then we'll move on. Um, Mr. Johnston means what he says. Christian love relationship, music relationship with a uh, teacher from leaving school. Um, he liked to check his shirt. His children were called Robert and Elizabeth, and he talked wow. about them a lot. Uh, I think what you need to tell our listeners is was he a force for good or a force for evil? Because I see Mr. Johnson as one of the best teachers that I had, but I've also got it in my mind that you think he was... A bit of a knobhead. Yeah. Is that maybe because he didn't like you as much as he liked me? Maybe. Maybe. Whereas... But 
Yeah, I don't know. He, ne- he never let me go on the Nimbus. What's what's the Nimbus? RM Nimbus computer at the back of the class that was like meant to be like more powerful than the computer. Yeah, I remember him saying one day, "This is more powerful than the computer that they said went to the moon with." Like, all right, cool. You gonna let me play on it? Imagine, imagine an eighteen-year-old uh, listening to this. <laughs> can't even. They couldn't even begin to imagine having one Three. one computer in the back of the class that a teacher said was more powerful than NASA's computers at the time yeah. they went Fuck. to the moon. We're so it, old, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, like a three-inch floppy has got a whole different meaning. Three and a half-inch floppy to eighteen-year-olds nowadays. What? what it's not it just the giant. It's not just a giant floppy disk. You remember those really big, thin floppy disks? And you showed me um, to bring it a bit more up to date. You showed me a mini disk in the lead up to this call, which would have probably been around nineteen ninety nine. I think when we all got into our mini disks. So okay, now we're cooking. Lovely, now we're cooking. Lovely, lovely little segue there, Segue. And tonight we're going to party like hold up it is. Not my words, Will Smith's word. Big, big Willie Styles. So, mm-hmm. um, I think you need to tell the full story of mine, yours, James Cundall's relationship with uh, mini discs to start with. Yeah, so I think, I, like, I was trying to think back to this, and I don't know whether um, me and Warlord was, me and James Cundall were still on our hiatus in 1999. What's, what does that mean? I got banned from everyone's houses and um, and, and people stopped larking with us. Um, I think because I was just big and clumsy and loud and uh, a bit wild. Yeah, so basically I was Brian Burton's Eric Cartman living at home with my mum and my cat. Um, and... Yeah, started started knocking about with like I think out of like well, it was a small village, so out out of out of like kind of almost haven't you? I was knocking around with like the bad lads, your your brother and like Gareth Radge and Ben Capper and stuff like that, you know, who were like four years above us. Do you remember when Rick Radge like uh, created so, a? Boxing a ring in the centre circle of the uh, school field opposite your house. Yeah, yeah. So this has been covered on a podcast that you need to you need to listen to that. Okay, cool. My Rick Rad story is uh, slightly different. The um, he, he's a kid that you described. He looked hard, didn't he, Rick Rad? I think they were from. Like, I think they were from Hull, weren't they? Menacing figure, you know. Mm. Um. There was a, so they were like four years older than me, and everyone that like, I'd occasionally what? have a. Uh, Rick Rick would have been older, but Gaz Gaz and Ben and your brother and that would have been like, four, um, four years older than us, and um, there was a, at the at the old abandoned, mental hospital in Bransburton, which was really spooky, um, and is now uh, luxury accommodation. 
um, there was like, uh, if you went halfway up like Bath Lane, there was a little cutting over the fence and there was like a clear out and they had a bit of a tree house and like a fire pit and a place you could like go and drink and, and be like ruffian teenagers. And I couldn't find anyone that day. And I, I'd, like, I remember I would spend like, a long time going around the village trying to find people just to see if, like, because if someone wasn't in, that was your only option, really, mm-hmm. to, like, see if someone was knocking about. So I go through the clearing, <laughs> and Rick Raj is on his haunches, and Gemma Fieldhouse jumped off him, and he's just stood there squatting with, like, a massive stiffy, like, uh, like, like those... Um, statues for those figurines for virility that they have in indigenous climes. He... Um, and and he goes, Cough, no! And I, and I ran off. So what, what year we're talking there? It's been like 96, 97. But 99. Yeah, so that was my Rick, but that was my Rick Raj memory. Um, <laughs> um, it's quite a poignant one. <laughs> I'm not surprised I haven't told... I don't think I've mentioned it to this day. This is pretty traumatic. I think I'm yeah. over it now, though. Um, the, yeah, so 1999. I'm, I'm not sure if I'd recundled, rekindled with Warlord by this point. Um, but I think we were on our way to it. 1999, I would have started going out with Rachel Smith, my first proper girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you and I always maintained our friendship throughout throughout the uh, the years, you know. But maybe not on the level it was or that it became to. But we we were still cool. Um, Jimmy was kind of doing his own th- own thing, like making his own music on. You know that I went out with out with um, Rachel Smith Rachel. before before you. Year eight, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't think I actually spoke to her during that during that time I, I thought that was too much of a commitment to see just scared I was just scared scared to do it really yeah and we, but you to your credit you took the bull by the horns didn't you I did in your, t- I did. In your 10 in your 10 year 9 we started going up tell me about um, you coming out as a heavy metal uh, fan I think, I think, well, 1999 lay some of the foundations for it because it was obviously uh, the year that um, that the biscuit dropped um, a significant other. Which, Limp biscuit. Yeah. Um, it was the year of breaking stuff. It was the year where everything was all about the nookie. It was. It was. It was about the. <laughs> Angry, anguished, repressed white male, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the year of, uh, wasn't it? The Woodstock. year of uh, Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. You know, not the Woodstock, but the other Woodstock. I think it, it definitely set something in me because uh, some years later, in ten, a decade later, in fact, in uh, two thousand and nine, um, we got some, we got some guest passes to download festival um from the prodigy didn't we 
Yeah, this is when you came out as um, a metalhead. This is when you said, and I quote, "It's so good to see, finally see you in your natural habitat." So it was it was that late in life that you came out as a as your true self. I, I think I'd suppressed it a little bit. I mean, like I've I've always liked guitar bands, but I I was also really really quite into like. Because when Jimmy was into his super metal, mm. I was like, I didn't like, I didn't like the new metal at the time. So with Jimmy, you're talking about um, Corn. You're talking about um, System, uh, Slipknot, System of a Down, Slipknot, Slip, yes, yeah, Slipknot. So Corn. when Jimmy James Kundal was into Slipknot, you were denying yourself. That kind of um, yeah, thing. man. Because like I'd re- we'd really gone hard on like the seventies hard rock thing. Like that was when I was like really, really into like Zeppelin and Hendrix and stuff like that. Like all of the the classic. But there was con- there was um, not there was nothing closeted about that. Like we are no I'm, Guns I'm, N' Roses. Like I love I, vivi- I vividly remember us in uh, Jimmy's bedroom listening to. Led Zeppelin, <clears throat> and I thought that Led Zeppelin were like the the best, not not like the the band that I loved more than any other band. But I thought, well, this is the best music that anyone can ever play. Yeah, the, like the pinnacle of technical ability yeah. and all of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Zeppelin are Zeppelin, like, and un- un- undoubtedly they're they're very influential and they are amazing and. But yeah, so I, I I don't know. I thought like the new stuff was cheesy and like a bit emo y and I maybe didn't get it and like I was still really into like my hard rock and grunge stuff, you know. So you so you were a big pro- proponent of Nirvana? Like you, you Yeah. You were um introducing us to Nirvana really, weren't you? Via your yeah. brother. But we 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 should talk about your brother at this point. Yeah, Peely, as you like to call him. So Peely, AKS Simon, Norm's brother, Wayney, he introduces to bands such as the Lemonheads, Moldy Peaches, um ju- just the, the the programs of John Peel and uh Steve Lamack. Yeah, I mean like white stripes, man, talking to mini discs. My brother, I remember my brother made me a pavement and white stripes and like Kings of Leon EP, like mixtape on a mini disc, and that must have been about this time. Well, talk, yeah, th- this time talking about first um, stripes record. Talking about Kings of Leon, I think this is maybe mm-hmm. when we saw Kings of Leon supporting the music at Bridge Spa, maybe, or was yeah. that later on? No, that was. That was before the first record, for sure. Um, because it was Rocket Science. It was Kings of Leon first, then Rocket Science. That guy passed away. Can you remember he had that crazy organ that flipped around? Yeah, I think it was them first before Kings of Leon, to be honest. Because uh, I, I nearly passed out during Rocket Science. Right. But uh, can you remember smoking a joint with um, the bass player from Kings of Leon? That day uh, near the bumper cars up on the seafront, because he 
he was like he was like our age. He was like fifteen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember Crazy. him being like, I remember him being like, yeah, man, it's been pretty wild, and like they and absolutely ripped only it. only the beginning. Like they were yeah. supporting the music, like mental. Yeah, I mean, they, they, some would say that they've taken the high road and walked it. Yeah, so they were they were there at Bridge Spa, and the the band, the music from Kipax Leeds, who were singing the song, take the long road and walk it, and um, Caleb Followill Followill was thinking, yeah, I sh- yeah, I should do yeah. that. I should take the the long road and that's what they've done they have so we witnessed we witnessed history didn't we we did and it was when they were still in my eyes a good band I think they were a good band um, for the first three albums at least Uh, I would concur and when they did that sex on fire shit that's when they dropped off from me Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Norm. Yeah. We need to wind up this section of the um, episode and then talk about what Chris talks about. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you need to say? I mean, I've got, I've got, there's so many funny stories and stuff, but I just don't know if they relate to 1999. Go on, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Um, I think, like, my, one of my fondest memories that, and, and and I think this is when I did start getting back in touch with Jimmy because I went to, um, I actually think it was the summer of 2000, like this when we started back at school. Because I'd gone to Dubai with some kids from the year above and uh, I bought back this little like mini hooker pipe slash bomb type thing. And uh, I invited Jimmy around to smoke some tack in my, in my house, in my, in my back garden. And that's when we became friends again. And it was pretty soon after that that we invented the quote book. And I don't know if you've discussed the quote book. No, 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 no. Because it's like, but, it's, it's, we're still only on 1999, no? So the quote book um, was a, an old an old maths textbook. Or I think it might have even been an RE textbook because mm. there definitely wasn't anything written in it. And uh, it was it would be where we would write down anything funny, anything stupid that someone had said, any, like, any diagrams or anything we needed to draw. And it was just, like, it was kind of where we documented our piss-taking out of each other and and where we figured stuff out and pondered, pondered our uh, adolescent lives. We were at songs. We were at songs in there. Yeah. We've got some great songs. Um, but it, it disappeared, didn't it? It did disappear. I think it. Was, I think Margie C threw it out. Jimmy's mum, as mothers do. Mm. You know. You remember that original copy of Sticky Fingers I had with the zip? Um. Yeah, but we should we should talk about mothers a bit more in this episode of the podcast, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we should. Great, great people. They are great people, and um, shout out to uh, Jen and Karen. Shout out to Jen, shout out to Karen, shout out to Marge. Um, yeah. 
you know, we wouldn't be the people we were today without those those people. It's true. It's true. Um. Okay, so uh, we might have you on again, Norm. I would love to be. I'd love to be back. Um. Obviously, see how it goes with the with the listeners. Um. But yeah, I'd I'd I'd, I'd love to take part with uh, Christopher as well. You know. Yeah, it's been it's been brilliant to talk to you, but it's been too much like our own conversation it'd be good to get Chris's um outsider perspective wouldn't it yeah I think he I think he would uh find some avenues and, and and some some angles that that he could um use his intellectual interjections and quips and uh really really bring bring the best out of us you know I think I think we're I think it's beautiful we're so comfortable with each other, Sam. But, mm. uh, is it is it entertaining? Is it entertaining to anyone else? It maybe doesn't make for the for the hardest content. Um, but Norm, you had some um, pretty uh, noticeable feelings about the suggestions that Chris made for next week's film. Oh yeah, I think um, I think for a while. Maybe when I was like just starting university, I was touting Amores Peros, Amores Peros, as my favorite film. Oh. In that way that you would, I think, I think it was a short-lived favorite film because it is, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It's funny, it's brutal, um, again beautifully shot. Um, I think, I think, I think Spain. I'd like to revisit late nineties, early noughties uh, Spanish film because I think mm. I think it, it, it. I'm being led to believe that it was a a thriving and good time. Golden age. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and Amores Peros is like one of my definitely up there still. Um, but then Napoleon Dynamite came out in my first year at university, and. Um, I, I, yeah, I split like Napoleon Dynamite for about three years. Napoleon Dynamite is a perfect film, I think. I watched I, it. I, I watched it. I watched it this year um, on a plane back from my holiday, and every second of it is perfect. I, I would implore you then it to. You might have already seen it because um, I'm That's also kind of obsessed with it. No. Um. Gentlemen Broncos. Gentlemen Broncos. It's weird, but it is, uh, and it flopped. It was a commercial failure, but uh, I think one of the funniest films I have ever seen. And um, Mike White's brilliant in it. That's that, that's good. That's good that we're giving you the opportunity to um, make a recommendation. Um, what I've also realised um, in the uh, lead up to this podcast is that we don't really talk about films very much. Like I've got a very um, vivid memory of me and you watching Wayne's World Two with a um, Chinese takeaway and uh, uh, and a can of Carlin and a can of Carlin. Pete would, let, Pete would let us have one of these cans each, and 
the coolest thing about it was it was the last night of the summer holidays, which would have meant that we were going to school the next morning. Wow, okay. And the only other film-related memory I've got of you in, like, childhood or beyond is the Aristocats. Yeah, you were a big, big, a big, big proponent of the Aristocats. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I think from that era of Disney, it was uh, it was one of the more ballsy ones, you know. It was like, um, is that why you liked it? Or is that just yeah. the one that they happen to have on VHS? No, I had a couple on VHS, like Jungle Book. You were saying, Karen, Mum, this is the one that I prefer because it's so ballsy. Yeah, you know, it was like, it's quite gritty, really. It's quite brutal. Mm. Um, and, it, and, it, and it tells a, a good story about differences. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think this podcast has been a good story about differences? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Thank- do you do you have a um, departing quote? Yeah. Um, a friend of mine has this um, as his sign off on his email. Mm-hmm. And, and he's always at it. And he's a, he's an accountant and tour manager for a very big rock band. And his sign-off is, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it'll get you nowhere. Nice. That's really good. Norm, thank you very much. Sam? It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, Chris, I hope you're less soon.